It's story time. So let me take you back a couple of years. Parking my car on a street in LA. Phone rings. Reach for the phone. Look at the number. Says no caller ID. I'm thinking this must be somebody important. So I pick it up and I hear, "Scoby, Cal, what up?" Now. There are very few people I know in this world named Kobe. In fact, there's only one. But I've never met Kobe Bryant, so naturally I'm thinking, Kevin, the manager is trying to punk me. But the more I listen and engage, the more I sense there's no trickery going on. This is Kobe. He's in his 20th season with the Los Angeles Lakers. His last. He wants to know about my interviewing process. We make plans to meet shortly after his final regular season game. I don't know how many of you remember his last game. If you didn't see it, or somehow you missed the highlights, at the very least, you got to check YouTube for the last three minutes. It's absolutely stunning. Kobe brings the Lakers from ten points back against the Utah Jazz on no legs. I mean, by the end of this game, he's absolutely winded. But he scores basket after basket, fifteen points in the last three minutes, ends up with sixty, leads the Lakers to victory. When I watched the last three minutes of that game, I was reminded of a passage in one of my favorite books, "The Right Stuff" by Tom Wolfe. Goes like this, and the idea was to prove, at every foot of the way up the pyramid, that you were one of the elected and anointed ones who had the right stuff, and could move higher and higher, and even ultimately, God willing. One day, that you might be able to join that special few at the very top, that elite who had the capacity to bring tears to men's eyes, the very brotherhood of the right stuff itself. But as I rewatched that last three minutes, I realized that passage didn't do Kobe justice. Kobe was even better than that. The last three minutes of that game is the ultimate definition of Kobe as a winner. So much so that as I was driving down to see him in Orange County, I was thinking, what possible overlap do I have with Kobe? He jumped straight to the NBA out of high school, won five championships in twenty seasons, laser focused, played in eighteen All Star games. You'd see his teeth clamp down as he prepared for a three-pointer, as he drives for a dunk, and you understand the force within that compels him to win. Me, I'm not competitive at all. I don't beat anybody at anything. In fact, in an interview, I try not to. My skill is getting people to feel so relaxed, so comfortable. That they can find out something about themselves that they might not have realized was deep inside them. 
Winning to me is not defeating anyone. It's connecting with them. So Kobe and I sit down over breakfast. I have no idea where this is going. I'm thinking, well, he just retired. He's probably going to be figuring out his next steps. Oh, no. Kobe knows exactly where he wants to go into storytelling and immediately is very clear that he wants to make just as great a mark in storytelling as he did in basketball. He would write a poem called Dear Basketball, have it animated by Glenn Keane, that's the guy who brought form to Ariel in The Little Mermaid, and then have his words and Keane's drawing set to music by John Williams, the guy who composed the themes for Jaws, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, so many others. Wait till you hear Kobe talk about what the process was like when the three of them came together to merge this work of art. Dear Basketball was played at the Staples Center when the Lakers retired both of Kobe's jerseys, number eight, number 24, late last year. And when you watch it on YouTube, you'll definitely understand why Dear Basketball, at the time of this podcast, is up for an Oscar in the category for Best Animated Short. Well, Kobe and I got to know each other over time, and I came to find out that we do have a huge overlap in curiosity. We talk about curiosity in this podcast, the awareness of fear, and other traits that made him one of the all-time greats. These characteristics have already made him stand tall in storytelling, and they can help you as well. As I drove to meet Kobe for this podcast, I wondered what it would be like for him if Dear Basketball got to the finals of the Academy Awards. All these years, clocks ticking down, Kobe has had the ball in his hands when it came time to win or lose. Now, the decision rests in the hands of voters. What would that feel like? We'll get to it in a minute. But before we do, I want to briefly mention another overlap on this podcast, my sponsors. This sponsor will bring a smile to the face of anybody who knows me. Because anybody who knows me knows that I ain't exactly Mr. Technology. For decades, I've been the worst. But I've recently discovered Squarespace. And my life has been transformed. Right now, I'm putting together a beautiful website on Squarespace. And if I can do it, trust me, anybody can. Go to squarespace.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, and get 10% off on your own. Let me tell you about my other sponsor, ZipRecruiter. I give hiring workshops about the power of questions in job interviews. And I've come to discover that ZipRecruiter 
is my other half. It delivers the science that allows companies who need talent to locate the right people. With a single click, businesses can get qualified candidates by the end of the same day. You can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, for a free trial to get the right candidates. But it's up to you to ask the right questions to make the right hire. So feel free to make good use of the answer Kobe gave me to a big question that can help you hire just the right person. You know, I've actually had people out there say they'd tune into this podcast just to hear the advertisements. So I hope you will enjoy the stories that outline my overlap with both Squarespace and ZipRecruiter as much as you do this conversation with Kobe. Here we go with Kobe Bryant. Welcome to Big Questions. Yeah. We got Kobe Bryant. What's happening, man? Man, this is an honor <laughs> to be sitting in the office where I see a sign that says, do epic shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do epic shit. That's kind of our motto. Yeah. Well, you know, you're going to have, or I hope you have, a great moment this coming March because your animated short, Dear Basketball, is on the short list for an Academy Award. Yeah. So here's my question, because I know how much you love to win. Say it's March, you're down to the last five, and they announce. And the winner is, you're sitting in that seat, and you don't have the ball in your hands. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do but wait Right. And here, if you have won, very different scenario. Sure. How are you going to handle that? The same way I'm sitting here right now. You know, it's it's uh, you know basketball. It's it's different because you are in control. So I can be directly competitive because you you're engaged in a direct competition. In the arts, it's completely different. You, you don't do this to win awards. This is not what we do it for. And we do it to try to create something that comes from within ourselves that is of some form of truth that could be almost therapeutic for us and why we create it. And then hopefully and in turn, it moves someone else who's watching the piece, and which is very different than sports. In sports, it's about the object of the sport is to compete and to win. And, uh, and what I do now in storytelling, that is not the objective. The objective is to create some form of truth as you see it and, uh, and try, to, try to move ourselves and in turn move others. So. so was this an adjustment for you or did you always have this side in you? Because when we're watching you on the court, we're seeing the teeth come down on each other. Yeah. And I, I'm... I'm here. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I've always had a, a bit of both there, right? And so if you think about the idea of, 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 
of building a story and how to structure a story is no different than putting together a puzzle, right? And when you're training, when I'm training in the off season, getting ready for a season, it's the same thing. I have to put a puzzle together. You know, where are my weaknesses? Where are my strengths? Where are things I need to adjust from a leadership perspective, communication, as well as physical perspective? And before I, I start my off-season regimen, I put those pieces of the puzzle out. And then it's a matter of putting that puzzle together throughout the summer, right? And so from that standpoint, you can't be thinking about the result. You can't think about competition. You have to think about process. And so from that standpoint, uh, that process side of me has always been there. And then what you see when the lights come on and I'm in Staples Center and I'm competing, you see the end result of that. But you can't have that end result without really enjoying the process of putting a puzzle together. And so how long has that been inside you? Because I, I know that um, one of your favorite books was Curious George. It's a children's yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, a children's yeah. book. Yeah. I always thought it was fascinating. I mean, you know, curiosity, I think, is the most important quality to have. You know, with curiosity, you figure things out. Right? You're, you're always um, looking for ways to get better or looking for reasons as to why certain things work, you know, things that are of interest to you. Um, so it was never good enough for me to simply you know, watch a game on television and say, okay, um, you know, I see what's going on. That's fine. That's awesome. It's entertaining. That wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to know why it worked. Right? And that curiosity leads you to knowledge. Do you think that you have the same curiosity that you had when you were a child? I think so, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, really amazing. So. <laughs> that's an amazing characteristic. Yeah. Because well. it is, a curiosity is one of those things where as you get older, where as a lot of people get older, it starts to... I wouldn't even say it's ero it erodes. It's almost like our life experiences throw shovels of dirt on it. Yeah. And it's like it, it can bury you like at a funeral if you're not sweeping the dirt away. Well, you know, the, the thing is, like as, as children, you know, a lot of it depends on, on how you grow up and the kind of teachers that you have around you at an early age, I think. You know, if you're the type of kid, because, you know, as kids, you're, you're just naturally curious because everything's new. And, um, you know, if you're surrounded by people that are always telling you, no, 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 no. Well, why is this? Why is that? You're annoying. Shut up. <laughs> you know, that type of stuff sits in the mind of a child. And, and they then become apprehensive or become a little timid to be curious because they don't want to, um, you know, upset the temperament of the room. And uh, fortunately for me, I was always surrounded by people who encouraged that curiosity and encouraged you know, the questioning of things. Average four-year-old asks 400 questions a day to their parents. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> and the thing is, a lot of parents smack their foreheads, but it sounds like your parents went with it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, what we try to do as parents, you know, with our children, um, you know, when they were four, and even to this day, because they, they still ask a ton of questions, is... You know, a lot of times you have the answers, you don't give them the answers, you just ask them a question and you get them thinking about it more. Uh, that then leads them to the answer eventually. 
But this way you just get their mind working and thinking constantly. And Socrates. Is that what he said? Well, the Socratic method. Is oh, the Socratic just, method. Yeah, that's asking right. questions. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, that's what John Williams told me. He, he, uh, that's how he operates his orchestra. Same way, he's just uh, asking questions. Because you know, a lot of times you, you, know, you may have the answer. But if I ask you a question, you know, um, uh, most of the time the answer that comes back is better than the answer that I originally had. Right? So it's always better uh, to, to, to try to pull it out of an individual um, versus giving it to them, I think. It leads me to a question I was thinking about as I was driving over. What's it like working with John Williams? This guy is like our Beethoven. Right. Bigger than Beethoven. He's done music for more than 100 films. Jaws, Jurassic Park, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. How... Is that collaboration process between the two of you? No, it was, it was, a, it was seamless. Um, you know, I think the, the wonderful thing about their basketball is that all three of us, um, you know, including Glenn, um, all approached our craft exactly the same way, with infinite curiosity and with this childlike wonder of it. And, uh, and so the process was extremely seamless. I mean, we sat down, you know, I talked to him on the phone about it and he read the letter and loved the letter. And, um, and his question was, well, I, I really need to see the piece to really, he said, I want to do this for you, but I, but I, I want to know that, you know, I don't want, you know, these orchestral pieces that, that I do to be too much for the piece. Um, and that was his concern. And, when we went to the Glenn studio and we sat down and we watched it, he said, no, this is, you're absolutely right. This requires, it needs uh, an orchestral piece, a composition of that magnitude. It actually would feel different if it didn't have it. And then it was just about the nature of the piece. What does it mean? How does it hit home um, personally? And then once he, once he found that, that nugget then it was just like the light went off <laughs> you can see it like he knew exactly what he wanted to do right then and there in the room it's like he knew exactly where he wanted to start he knew you know how he wanted to move through the piece so as we're watching it on the monitor and you see him kind of his fingers kind of moving through the air you know he's hearing something some language that he can only hear <laughs> oh man and, you know and you see you kind of you, you can see these melodies that he's hearing and um it's, it's just one it was magical it was magical is, is that equate to basketball in any way well yeah i mean it's you know animation and basketball you know like with glenn if you sat down with glenn and you watched him air you know animate um ariel for example you wouldn't know what he was animating after the first six, seven lines, you, you you wouldn't know what the heck he was doing. It was like he was animating something else, right? But then after the 10th line, 11th line, then it's all of a sudden it's like, whoa, there it is, right? Because in his mind, he sees the full picture, but you from the outside cannot see that. And it's the same thing with John. It's the same thing for me when I played. You know, I'm thinking not just of what's happening here in front of you and here and now in the first quarter, but how does that um, 
action that takes place in the first quarter connect to what takes place in the last two minutes of the game. Oh, so the same thing's going on in your head in the game. Yeah. Like you're you're John Williams then. Absolutely. And the game is like a piece of music. Absolutely. I mean you're you're responsible for an entire body of music that 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 that's um, comprised of different instruments. Right. And figuring out how to create a beautiful harmony or melody out of it. Um, and you know, it requires a lot of thinking in the off season of putting that puzzle together to study and to kind of, so that then when you're in season, these things are felt; they're not thought, right? But you, it's a, you, know, you can feel those things. When the music came to you, was it completely perfect, or do you have a moment where you're saying, you know, John, at about three minutes and fifty <laughs> seconds, we could use a little more French horn. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it, when we scored it, um, he was really excited. I mean, he was like, he was like, he was jacked up. He was like energized, you know, and and, um, and Glenn and I both realized when we were talking to each other, um, when he was, uh, you know, kind of getting ready to, to start, that he had never heard the music, right? If you think about it, I mean, he's, he's, it's an 80 instrument uh, piece He's written every instrument out himself by hand, and he can hear the music and what it sounds like in his head. But for the first time, he himself is actually going to hear it for the first time. Whoa. Right? I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. And so he starts to play, and I'm so excited that I, I almost yell, and I catch myself, and I realize the red light's on and we're recording, so I got to keep it cool. <laughs> You know, and 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 and, uh, and then he finishes the piece, and I'm just completely blown away. And he turns over his left shoulder and looks at me and Glenn sitting on the side. And he looks at us and goes, "I promise you, it will get better." And I was like, "Uh, I kind of thought we were done. I mean, I, I don't know what you heard, but and, you know." And I turned over at Glenn, turned over my shoulder, look at Glenn, and and Glenn. In five and a half minutes, had sketched the entire room. So he had sketched all 80 instruments, John conducting, and me looking um, at John conduct. He had sketched that. So I'm like, wait, did you hear? Wait, what are you doing? I mean, you got to be kidding me. What the heck is going on in here? <laughs> you know what? It, it's like somebody watching you play basketball. <laughs> How do you do that? Uh, uh, I, I, hopefully, that's the feeling that I evoked, man. But like, in, for me, being in this project and working with two people who I've admired from afar for so long, to actually be immersed in a project with them, to see how they operate, is something entirely different. And, and, and also walking around the room, and John's introducing me to everybody that's playing and. These guys have been with them, and women have been with them since, uh, you know, uh, since the original Imperial March. You know, and, and it's in like meeting these people uh, and asking questions that to me are just, just, you know, that may sound completely silly to them, but it's just like things I need to know. Like, you know, when you play the Imperial March and, you know, you're, 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 um, the horns and, you know, how are you positioning your hands? And then, you know, <clears throat> why do you feel like it's important to muffle the sound of the horn as you play it? Like all those little things that I was just insanely curious about. How do they handle the instruments? How do they create tension? Like, because they all had their little quirks and things that they do um, to create different sounds. 
and uh, it was fascinating. Is this how you keep your curiosity alive by putting yourself in these different situations that you're seeing it for the first time? It's like a, it's like you are a kid in that situation. Well, yeah, I mean that that's honestly that was the reason why, the main reason why I wanted to work with Glenn and John. It was just just like a personal thing. Like I just wanted to have an opportunity to work with them and and uh, to learn from them and see how they create. You know, it's, it's always, it, like it comes from that. I mean, th- these collaborations are really just b- based off of, off of learning. Let's take a look at curiosity as it goes back in your life. Because uh, I'm kind of fascinated with curious people since I am one myself. <laughs> and I'm wondering from the time, I, I guess you moved from the United States to Italy mm-hmm. when you were six. Mm-hmm. Does that enhance your curiosity moving into a different culture? You got to learn a new language. It has to. It has to because, um, you know, you're, you're immersed in a new culture, right? A new language. Um, um, everything's completely new. Geography, you know, weather. I mean, everything's new. And so um, to learn, you have to have some form of curiosity, right? Or you'll just be stuck. Right? You have to be curious to understand the language, the different types of foods. You know, you have to learn different routes and how to get to school and all sort of stuff. So it just innately builds curiosity within you, I think. I noticed when I started traveling, it was much later in life, and I didn't understand the language. I, I literally had to look beneath the language mm. to understand or be understood. Yeah. And <laughs> I always thought that was a real gift to be able to look at somebody and kind of understand, oh, that person wants to rob me. <laughs> or that grandma, she'll, she, she'd take me home and offer me dinner. Right, right. yeah. Did, did you have a little of that from growing up? I, I realize your dad was playing basketball yeah. and your whole family is there. Yeah, I would assume so. Because you know, you, when you don't understand the language, the um, thing that you have to take a temperature on is, is what? Facial expression? body language the energy of a person right so i think it really helps you become um i think it elevates your emotional intelligence and being able to to feel what it is people are saying or what they're bringing into a room um so i think that's helped a lot researchers say that 10 percent of communication is the actual words 30 mm-hmm. percent the tone of your voice 60% the body language. Mm. So here you are, six, seven, you're going into places where you can't understand <laughs> what they're saying. Right. You're reading their bodies. Right. How does that play out into basketball? Because you, you, you're basically making a living. Well, if you think, if you think about it, um, you know, basketball is, is a game in which you know, it's predicated off of movement and patterns of movement, right? Um, so you can watch film, you can study players, and you can see what they like to do in certain parts of the floor and certain parts of the game. Um, but beyond that, there's also a rhythm with which they play, and there's an energy with which they play. And so beyond just the intellectual understanding of what they do, you also must be able to feel what it is that they're doing and what it is they're coming into the game with. 
right? So you can feel the momentum and the energy with which they're playing. You can sense whether or not they they want to they want to be aggressive at this moment in time. You can sense if you know now they're getting ready to attack and go left. You can you can you can you can feel those things. Yeah. And is this coming through like looking at tape, looking at them while they're playing? Is it coming through your ears on the way they dribble the ball? Well, how how is it coming in? Yeah, so tactically it comes from those things. So like if you, you if you watch you can watch any player play and you can observe the rhythm which which they with which they play. You know, the amount of dribbles that it takes for them to get a shot off, uh, the timing, you know, if they're isolated uh, on the wing, you know, how many seconds does it take for them to get going, right? Um, those little things, those little beats of rhythm that they play with, um, those are intellectual things, tactical things that you can pick up. But beyond that, it's also the energy with which they're playing. And if you can really be quiet, emotionally be quiet, um, you can pick up on those things and connect with those things. And then you can wind up getting in a zone uh, defensively where you're connected with them just as you get in a zone offensively and because you can feel what it is that they're going to do. Um, it's, it's weird. I mean, it sounds like some you know, Jedi, uh, you know, force type of thing, but it, it truly is. And we should point out that you were all defensive player 12 times in your career <laughs> as well. Uh, but the, the amazing thing to me, every time we talk, this gets deeper and deeper and deeper because <laughs> things you say about basketball translate exactly to what I'm trying to do in an interview mm -hmm. where I want to be as quiet as I can and take in as much of your energy as, as possible. Mm -hmm. it, it really seems like a, a direct overlap. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's good for life as well. Right? If, if we can set our own egos to the side and simply observe and listen and, and receive, um, then I think the world would be a much better place. I mean, but, but it's hard to do that, isn't it? Because I mean, we all have our own agendas. We all have goals, you know, things that we want to accomplish. And a lot of times those things get in the way. And I remember talking to my teammates on our championship run, and uh, the energy of the team was just off. And I came in and I said, guys, from personal experience, I know, uh, and this is what's happening. Individually, we have goals that we want to set. You come into the game, Lamar, you come into the game and say, tonight I want to get 20 points and 12 rebounds, right? Derek Fisher, you come into the game today and you want to have 15 points. And I come into the game and say, I want to score 35 today, right? And we all have those individual things. And what happens is the game starts and then for some of us, those things don't work out. I may start the first quarter with just one point. I might go into halftime with just five, right? And because you're not accomplishing that individual goal, your energy now is low because you, you feel like you have failed accomplishing your task. And that energy sucks away from the team, right? And it's not a matter of being selfish or anything like that. It's like you had a goal and you felt like you failed yourself because you have not accomplished that. And then little by little, it erodes the energy of the team. I said, what we have to do is say, listen, we have individual goals. That's fine. But when the game starts, you let that go and you play and you let the game flow. You let the energy flow. And what happens, happens. Right. And uh, once we're able to do that, then we're able to turn things around.
the idea of being able to listen, how, how does that move into a basketball game? Are you, how much listening are you doing? And what exactly are you listening to? I'm listening to everything. You know, I'm listening to what's being said. Uh, I'm observing. You know, body language is a big thing as well. Um, not just the opposition, but my teammates as well. And what's going on, what are things that they're struggling with. You know, you got to be able to, you know, hear what they're saying, but then understand the intent of what it is that they're saying on both sides. You know, the, the opposition as well. Um, and to do that, you have to be able to kind of quiet your mind and process things. And there's some games where I don't do that. Right? So you have to measure. Like there's certain games where I say, okay, today, tonight we need me to go into a completely single-minded approach and turn things around. Like we, you know, we had a center that got Andrew Bynum got injured in the game against Memphis. And we were trying to win a championship that year. And now all of a sudden our key center goes down. You can feel the energy of the team just get deflated. Our next game was in New York. I said, now that is a game where I said, okay, I have to take this team and lead by example and say, okay, no, I understand he went down, but this is what we're going to do. And for that game, everything blacked out. I wasn't listening to anybody. I didn't care what the opposition was saying to each other. I didn't care what my teammates were saying. Everything was irrelevant. Only thing that was relevant was just the quietness and the stillness within myself. And uh, that's the game I wound up having, you know, 61 in the garden. Did that happen a lot, or was that a very rare occurrence? Well, it, it's rare for the amount of times that I, I, I would want to have it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's a, um, if you it's, scored uh, 80, we know that you had it that night, or were you listening that night? No, no, same, same approach. I mean, most of the big games that I've had, whether it's against Dallas, and, you know, 62 in Dallas, or... Um, you know, a streak of you know, 40 point games and nine straight games or whatever it was, or 50 and four straight games. Same, same kind of approach. Last three minutes of your last game. Yeah. Where you're just completely on fire, and yet you can tell. I mean, if you watch that on uh, YouTube, mm-hmm. you will see you're, you're breathing pretty hard. Yeah, yeah I was tired. <laughs> I was tired. I was absolutely tired. Um, Have you ever been that tired <laughs> in a basketball game before? Uh, no, no. But I, but I have been that tired uh, out on the track and running. So it wasn't unfamiliar to me because I had pushed myself there before, which gave me the confidence to know that I could push myself through it again. You know, when you're dead tired out on the track and I still have five more 200s to run, I don't know if I have the legs to run them anymore, just like that game, but I run them anyway. I know I can do it, right? I know that that energy is there to do it. And it's so much, it seems like, goes back to places you're talking about process before, mm-hmm. where if you run, you make those runs in practice, mm-hmm. when you're in a game, it's just, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You told me a story when you're like four years old. And I, I, I'm always fascinated by this story. I'm going to ask you again because I never know when I hear a story a second or third time, mm-hmm. something new may come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it really is, to me, the definition of fear and what happens when you confront it and how it can change your life. Mm-hmm. So you're four years old. You're doing karate. Mm-hmm. And 
You're a white belt. Yeah. You're called out on the mat. Pick up the story from there. Well, I, we um, it was always kind of a series of challenges, right, to advance, you know, to jump up in belts and... You know, it was. Uh, You're on the lowest rung now. I am. I'm okay. just, just starting out. But you know, you know it's coming because you, you've seen the other belts go before you do it, right? Where you have to break boards or you know things like that. Or and uh, they thought I was particularly talented, so they decided to, you know, and this one was combat. Uh, go up against a brown belt, and so what happens is all the kids kind of sit around in a <laughs> in a square. And uh, you, know, you put the, the the gloves on. They're not boxing gloves. Or they're the shiny, gloves. those shiny exactly. red karate That's gloves. Exactly right. That's exactly right. right. And you put them on on your feet as well. And uh, now, I, what's the reaction of everybody yeah. around? I don't even know because I was terrified. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't know what their reaction was or what they were saying. I was busy crying my eyes out. Like, I can't go against this brown belt, and he's gonna kill me literally kill me and uh and uh you know i the funny thing is when i fought him it wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be i mean i got a couple couple licks in made a couple defensive took a couple defensive stances um he won <laughs> obviously <laughs> but, but, but it you wasn't were, as bad you were as scared you were scared to go out there i was and your I mom was. oh and my mom my mom said Boy, you better get out there. <laughs> she, she's your Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, you better get out there. You better get out there. Um, but it was an eye-opening experience. I mean, I, I remember in the car going home and just thinking, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So what was I so afraid of? And what I realized at that age was your imagination gets the best of you. And your imagination actually creates greater fear than any man or anything can. Because if you, if you lose control of your imagination, you're allowed to think of all the worst things that could possibly happen. You, know, you wind up losing before you even start. And um, after that, I'll, I've never was, I never was afraid um, of a challenge ever again. I mean, it's amazing to master fear at four years old. Well, I don't know if I mastered it. I, I was just aware of it. Right? So, so, you know, after that, it would come back again, but I was aware of it. And I was aware of where my mind might wander um, you know, with imagination. I was aware. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's not controlling it, but it's being aware of it when it comes. And then accepting, you know, either accepting it or letting it pass. But the choice is yours. Okay, okay, Kobe. We're going to take a break here. And I'm going to admit a fear that has plagued me for decades. It's embarrassing. But it explains why I've been terrible at technology for all these years. Decades ago, when emails first came out, I could not get mine to work. So I got on the phone with a specialist and he kept telling me it was simple. All I needed to do was put my name at, then the company, then .com. So I kept typing in my name at the company, then D-O-T-C-O-M. <laughs> 
That's Kevin, the manager in the background, getting a good laugh at my expense. Well, as you can imagine, I just couldn't get it to work. It took us three hours to realize that I should be putting down the sign for a period, then C-O-M, instead of writing out D-O-T-C-O-M. Lame, 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 I know. But you want to know what's even worse? From that moment on, I grew further and further behind. Imagine me, the fastest typer in Miss Epstein's high school class. 80 words a minute, reduced to texting with my second finger, one lonely letter at a time, and mocked by my own children. And then, like Popeye finding a can of spinach, I found Squarespace. Squarespace gives even people like me the power to customize the most unique and beautiful website. I went to squarespace.com, came across a video tutorial. They got 24-7 customer service hotline. My curiosity was rekindled. The more I looked into Squarespace, the younger I became. I glanced at myself in the mirror, and even my fedora looks new. As I work on my new website with Squarespace, I'm asking myself a very big question. Will I ever be afraid of technology again? No! Which leads to this next question for Kobe about my favorite Kobe moment. So there's a moment. This is one of my favorite Kobe moments. And it's not a dunk. (laughs) It's not a three-pointer. You are on the court and Matt Barnes is taking the ball out of bounds. <laughs> and you are right in front of him. Yeah. And he takes the ball as if he's going to throw it right in your face. And he stops at the last minute. Yeah. And the beauty is, you don't flinch. Yeah. Now, unless this has happened many times to you before, when people were joking around, I, I don't know. Right. But it, it, it was shocking to me to see that. That you could just <laughs> stand there how do you know what he's going to do? Well, I don't, but I, but I, I knew it was a big game. Um, and, you know, I, my reputation around the league was you, know, you don't want to you know, challenge me because I would respond to it in a way that was, you know, um, that I'd become more difficult to deal with as a defense. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was a big game, and his role on the Orlando Magic was to defend me. So just logically, I mean, th- there's there's no way he's going to hit me with this ball and get ejected. So you were able to like process this in yeah. tenths of a second. Yeah, yeah. No way 
He's no out of his mind and he's no. he's pissed off and he's no, just no, going to no, throw no. the ball at me. No, so no way. In, in tenths of a second, you knew, and then yeah. and then you just basically stared him down. Yeah, yeah. But then, but that you know, he knew at that point. He was like, oh, okay, he called my bluff, right? I mean, and we wound up playing together years after. Did, would you laugh at about that moment? You had to well, laugh. I, 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 I kind of forgot saw. about it. I kind of forgot about it. He brought it up to me and said, listen, man, I got to ask you, man, why the hell didn't you flinch? Man, like, <laughs> I, I still can't. It's like, I still I still don't understand that. Like, why didn't you flinch? I'm, I'm thinking, okay, he's definitely going to flinch. I'm going to make him look ridiculous on national TV. And when you didn't flinch, I was like, oh, man, this dude is this dude is stone cold, man. <laughs> so, yeah, we had, a, we had a good laugh about that as teammates. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, that's That's... One of my favorite, well, that's that's my favorite moment. <laughs> and and it, look, at, you know what? It goes back to body language, yeah. that intuition, like under, because yeah. this this is happening. I remember Coach K telling me once, when it gets to the end of the game, he's seeing the game in tenths of a second. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of time that it would take me if I had a basketball in my hands, well, my arms aren't that long, but... <laughs> To, to reach out and throw the ball right at your head, it, it's, it's one-tenth of a second. Right. So you're operating in like hundreds of a second. Saying, I guess no. so. I guess so. Another moment with the eyes. And uh, talk about body language. Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. eye contact. Tell yeah. the story. Tell well, us. I, I just love this story. Well, I mean, it was my... Uh... It was my second year in the league, so this is 98. And um, I was playing a lot more minutes now, right? And so we're getting ready to face Chicago. And um, and so, I, you know, I get the package. You know, you, every team we play against, you get a, kind of a package of their plays and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, in practice, you know, we were on a second team. Myself, Derek Fisher, we're the second team. So it was our job to run the triangle against the first team. And I had studied the triangle over and over, so I was tearing these guys apart, you know, because I was playing the role of Michael, right? So I knew where he liked to operate and all such stuff. And, and uh, but I was really excited to have an opportunity to actually guard him, to like go up against him, sort of thing. And then one of my teammates comes up to me and goes, "Hey, um, so you want some advice on how to deal with MJ?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, of course, man. You've played against him before many times." So he goes, "Whatever you do, don't look him in the eyes." And I started, I started laughing, you know, I started laughing. I was, you know. I thought it was like a joke, you know what I mean? Like, okay, now here comes the real information, you know? And no, 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 he was serious. That was it. No, don't, trust me. So you can do it if you want to, but, (laughs) you know, don't, don't wake him up. I was like, what? Okay, all right, I see how this is. So the first thing I did when I checked in the game with Michael is I stood in front of him and I looked him directly in his face. (laughs) directly in his face and he must he must have looked at me like what is wrong with this weirdo this kid what the hell is he doing and i looked over at the bench and i said i'm still here <laughs> this is four, goes back to four years old yeah it's listen you know i'm not intimidated or afraid of anybody and the, the funny thing about it is i mike and i had dinner um, a few years ago, talking about this exact thing, and he remembered. <laughs> he remembered that play. And he remembered thinking, "What is? What? He said, "I was trying to think, like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing?" But then I explained him the story. He was like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." I, I knew that guy was scared of me. Oh <laughs> so man, I knew, I knew he was scared of me. How how much 
fear can you read on a basketball court? Oh, instantly, man. Instantly, you can tell, guys, that don't want to deal with you. Instantly. Instantly. And you, you go right. You go right after them. Go right after them. It, it, is this body language? Like, well, how do you yeah, see that? It's, it's, uh, I mean, literally, they're coming onto the court. Right. Or do you need a couple of possessions? to? No, no, no. It's the same. It's like, it's no different than, than boxers when they step into a ring. You know, you square off. And you know what? Thing. In boxing, I can see it in the weigh-in. Right. You can see the guy it. The shows up. You look at his face. Uh-oh. The same thing in basketball. Same thing. If you hadn't had that moment at four years old, I mean, maybe it would have happened later on. Yeah. But do you, do you think you might have been a little different? Or did that um, set you up? Well, I mean, it would have happened eventually. Just because I was, you know, the curiosity thing, right? It wasn't enough for me to just say, okay, I was scared. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. That's not good enough for me. I had to ask the question of why was I afraid in the first place, right? And that enables me to then go, well, was I afraid of him? No, because I never fought him before. So what is there to be afraid of? His belt? Yeah, maybe. Well, the imagination of what that belt could do to me, right? thinking of all the things that could potentially happen, of how I could get hurt or embarrassed or whatever the case may be. That is where the fear came from, right? So it's asking the question of where does the fear come from? How much time do you spend talking to yourself? These things happen quickly. Like you sit there and you know, I, can, I can think of it really quickly. Like, where did it come from? I was thinking about, oh, I imagine, it. all right. Well, that won't happen again. Right, that happens, happens really quickly. <laughs> and so it's almost, it almost seems like the questions just get compressed into, okay, I, I was there and now I'm here. Yeah, I mean, it seems logical to me. You know what I mean? It just seems like, you know, what were you afraid of? Well, I was afraid of that. Okay, well, why are you afraid of that? Well, because of this, all right? Then don't do that. All right, cool, done. <laughs> you know, oh, like it's, it's just it's just like a you know it's it's just to me it just seems like a logical line of questioning. What happens? I know after you lost in Boston in '08, I think as you were walking off the court, mm -hmm. the Journey song "Don't Stop Believing" oh, was playing. Yeah. It was playing like the last two minutes of the game, and the whole. Um, the whole arena was singing this damn song. It was driving me crazy. And so th this thing is like piercing your armor. Oh, it's yeah. it, it's they got deep inside you. Yeah. And your response is to play this song yeah. every day for the next two years. Well, yeah. Well, I had to remember it. it helped me remember what it felt like. You know, it helped me remember to be there and to to know what it felt like to have a dream ripped away from you by somebody else. Right? And it was like, okay, this shit's never happening to me again. It's not. We're not going to go through this anymore. You know, the celebration that they're having at our expense is not going to happen. Because I, I remember standing there and looking around and seeing all these fans singing and chanting and all the Boston players completely ecstatic about, you know, this championship or whatever. And us just being miserable. And then thinking back of, okay, what is my family thinking watching this game right now? How devastated are they back home? How about the families of my teammates? What about the city of Los Angeles? How are they feeling right now? This is my responsibility. This is not going to happen again. Oh, man. You know, this, this gets to a question that I was thinking about on the night your jerseys were retired. And I'm watching, and I kept, as the game was going, I kept 
hoping they would come back to you because you're sitting with Vanessa, your wife, your three daughters, youngest baby, mm-hmm. Bianca, like in your lap. And, and then you get up to speak and your talk ends with a message for your kids. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, all the time I wanted, I just kept waiting to see more of Kobe with his family. And then I listened to like the eruption of the crowd. And I thought to myself, man, his family is a lot bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel connected with everybody in an arena like that at that moment? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the... You know, that's the thing, that's that's the energy, right, that you feed off of. At least I can kind of tap into. You know, it's like vibrations that you can pick up on, little frequencies that you can pick on pick up on from people that can that can propel you forward and help, you know, help you jump higher and move faster and shoot more accurately. Um oh absolutely. Yeah. I remember the musician Tom York telling me he's in the middle of a concert. And the crowd's going nuts. They're playing their asses off. And he said he could actually see the walls bending mm-hmm. around him. Mm-hmm. Did you did you ever have like a similar experience? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could see you know, players literally moving in slow motion. I could tell them what move they're about to make before they make it themselves. You know, it's always the, the, the feeling that the basket feels massive. But I've also had the feeling that the ball feels extremely small. And it's like, you know, throwing a pebble into a hula hoop, you know. Um, all those sensations. Um, and, you know, many other ones as well. I mean, you just, they're things that I've felt when I've played. How much of this also goes back to childhood? Because I know there, there was a moment where you're riding down the street on a bicycle Oh, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're throwing rocks at telephone poles. Yeah. Is that, does yeah. that approximate like shooting while you're on the move? There's a, that uh, directly equates to a win um, in the NBA versus the Miami Heat in 2009 at home. Uh, what happened? We're down two and uh, a couple seconds left and I, catch the ball, inbound the ball at half court, and I catch it, Dwayne Wade's on me, and I go left, there's a double team coming. And then I, I you know, I, I, I just kind of shoot a runner, which is I step with my right, step with my left, and then I jump off of my left, off of one leg, but I'm kind of, I'm going sideways, you know, because the defensive pressure, Dwayne is really good about sitting on my right arm as I shoot, so I kind of had to, you know, jump to the side away from him. But as I'm jumping to the side away from him, I immediately recall, it's not like a thought, but I, I feel like it's the same thing of me being on my BMX bike and riding past a telephone pole and throwing a rock and trying to hit the pole. Because if you're riding on the bike, you're riding fast, and you throw it at the pole, you're going to miss the pole, right? But your momentum is carrying you forward. You got to throw it back a little bit. You got to throw it backwards, and then it hits the pole. Right, so that shot, even though I'm I'm falling to the left, I shoot it back a little bit, 
just like I was on a bike. Oh, and, and, man. And, 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 you know, it banked in. It went in and we won. <laughs> but, you know, but I knew how to shoot that shot from... Riding on the bicycle. As a little kid, throwing rocks at telephone poles on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, there's a story. It, 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 it's fascinating. It's a story about Muhammad Ali when he was a kid. He would have his brother Rudy, his younger brother, go out in the street with him. And he would ask Rudy to pick up rocks and throw it at his head. And Rudy would pick up the rocks and throw it. It was then Cassius Clay. And he, Muhammad would be standing there as the rock is coming right at his face, waiting, 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 just as it's about to hit his nose. Mm. He leans back, lets it whiz by, and it's the exact style in the ring. Mm -hmm. Danced like no heavyweight had ever danced before. Couldn't get close to him. If you didn't through a left hook, he just leaned back, and hit you like 20 times faster mm -hmm. than you could shine a, sh shine a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how so much of this <laughs> traces back to childhood. Oh, it all does. It all does. The foundation. Okay, let's move it forward to the crowd and the noise and everything you must have felt when they retired your jersey. I, what was going on in your head? seeing like two jerseys are being retired um no i mean I, I was really just thankful to be back there i hadn't been back since our last uh game so i was really thankful to be there and uh, to have my family there uh to have my, all my extended family there and to see faces in a crowd that i've seen since my rookie year because a lot of the people in the crowd you know uh, some of the kids were babies like there were kids coming to the game two years old three years old that are now grown-ups. 20 years with the Lakers. Right, yeah. right. so I've, I've literally seen families grow up and grow, you know, because all those seats, those courtside seats and seats around, I mean, those are lifelong ticket holders, right? And so those seats don't change, or they're in the same place all the time. Uh, Andy Garcia and his daughter, I mean, they're, they're at every single game, and I've watched her grow up, and, you know, and, um, it, it's, it's just, you know, so I was really excited just to be there. It wasn't, to me, it wasn't about the jerseys. It was more so about um, how much we ha all have grown and uh, getting a chance to be back there and and and, uh, and saying thank you to them and to my former teammates and competitors um, for you know for a good twenty years was was um, was fun. It seemed much more the way you're talking about it seems much more level than. The moment that John Williams heard the music, yeah, yeah. and you heard the music played yeah, for the yeah. first time, yeah, it's you know, it, it's different because you know, as a kid, I had dreams of being here. You know, like you see things in your mind so many times um, um, that you've, you've been there before. Like I, I, it was always my dream to have my jersey retired by the Lakers. Uh, never imagined to be two, but it was my dream to be a part of that hall. You know. And uh, but I never, ever thought I'd, I'd write something that Glenn and John felt was strong enough for them to lend their talents to and to actually work with them or to be shortlisted for an Oscar. Like I, those are that is beyond the realms of dreams for me. I've I never imagined that. So it is extremely <laughs> exciting and completely new to me, this whole thing. So, okay. So here's the 20 years 
where 80 games in a season, 82 games in a season, plus exhibition, plus you're always in the playoffs. It's more than 100 games a year. Like roughly one out of every three days, you had 20,000 people cheering into your ears. Yeah, which explains why I can't really hear much of anything now. Is that true? <laughs> that's what Vanessa says. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when she's so, telling you to, to, to right, do things right. around we'll, the house. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just stick to that, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but here's the thing. You've got every third day in, of your life for the last 20 years, yeah. you've had 20,000 people cheering in your ears. What is it like when that stops. Now, I imagine, look, you go on Jimmy Fallon's show or you you have your jerseys retired, you're gonna hear the crowd applause, right. but it's, it's, it's gotta be a little different now. Um, or is it? I, I, no, honestly, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never played for that. I know a lot of players miss it, and that's fine. I mean, you know, we're all motivated by different things. I, I was never motivated by that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't miss it in the, in the, in the slightest. Uh, I don't mean to. Um, well, I, I found it almost. I found it almost hard to believe because I met you right after your last game right and we're sitting down and i'm i'm expecting to meet a guy who's just retired and maybe is starting to think about where this is all gonna go right that was not the case you (laughs) you you were ready to go (laughs) yeah and it was almost as if you know this had been planned from an early age, yeah. even going back to when you were in high school and you had a great English teacher mm-hmm. who basically set you off on an assignment that directly correlates to where you are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we had to tell a story to a bunch of kindergartners and uh, it was um, speaking arts. And I forgot to do the assignment because you know, you know, AAU basketball is picking up, so we're traveling around a lot, and and uh, I think we had a tournament in Boston College, I think it was. And we came back, and I forgot to do the assignment, and I couldn't let her know that, so I was like, yeah, of course, yeah, no problem. So you got to invent a story now. Yeah. So as we're walking down the kindergarten uh, class, because it was connected to our high school, I had to think of something. I'm like, what the hell am I gonna, what am I gonna do? And of course. She knows, and so I'm the first one she calls. So now I got to go first with a bunch of kindergartners in a cold room, right, and with kindergartners, something that I did not. Had you ever had to do anything like no, this before? No, 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 nothing remotely close to it. Um, and so all I did was just think of things that were natural to me, which was picking up after myself in my room. And my mom always being on me about that sort of stuff because my room was always – Basketball shorts here, t-shirt here, you know, stuff, you know. Is it just a clutter and a mess? Yeah, because I'm I'm, I'm always playing. I'm always running. I'm always, you know, so it's just a mess all the time. And so how does that translate into a story? Well, when, you know, you know it's time to clean the room and your mother wants to see you clean the room, what is the natural place where you hide all your clothes? Under the bed. Under the bed, right? Under the bed. So 
that's the story I came up with. What happened? Well, what happens is that these um, dirty clothes that are now stashed under the bed uh, turn into these uh, horrible monsters <laughs> that drag a kid from his bed, um, you know, to the depths of Tartarus. You know what I mean? Like it's doom and gloom with these dirty clothes transforming into monsters and beasts. And um, and uh, the kids had to go into this underworld and figure out how to clean this underworld uh, in order to save this underworld from doom and gloom. And uh, What do the eyes look like on these kids hearing this story? They were... They were they were terrified, actually, because, you know, because I like I'm selling it like this is really happening. Like this will happen to you. This is a cautionary tale. And and what happened is my uh, my teacher, Miss Mastriano, got a lot of mail from parents. And uh, she called me into her class. and I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. 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 And she said the mail, the letters were, were I don't know what happened at school. But my kid's room has never been cleaner. And they keep saying that they are worried that the monsters are going to pull them underneath the bed <laughs> and drag. So I don't know what happened, what story was told, but thank you. <laughs> and, and, and that was the beginning for me in storytelling. Okay. <laughs> That's beautiful. So let's just... Move it forward. She, by the way, she sent me the tape. I saw her. I saw her, um, uh, my last season. We played a game in Brooklyn. She drove up. and We had breakfast together, and she found a VHS because she recorded the performances because it was important for her and us to watch and figure out how to articulate, how to enunciate. Um, you know, when we speak, and so she actually gave me the VHS tape of 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 that story. When you're the, watching it, what was going through you? I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I gotta find a VHS player. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. I haven't, come, I haven't gotten around to yeah. it, but you know, but uh, one of these days I will. Well, you can see how much of these experiences from your childhood shaped who you became. They all do, you know, which is really important. You know, when we're talking about teachers and coaches. It is really important for for us as adults and mentors to pay attention to what we say to kids and how we coach them and how we teach them is extremely important because the things that we just seem that are just offhanded remarks, off the cuff remarks, will sit with these kids, right? And so it's it's uh, something that we all should be mindful of. We're going to pause here for a storytelling break that leads directly into the next question I asked Kobe. This story is about a guy named Ian Siegel. Ian was working with a lot of startup companies, good work, nice pay. But because he was in the world of startups, there were no HR departments. So Ian finds himself doing all the hiring. In each case, fills out a job description, puts it on the job board, then the next, and the next, and the next, over and over and over. It's taken up all of his time. And then, one day, Ian asks himself a big question. 
Isn't there a better way to hire? Boy, la! ZipRecruiter was born! Immediately, ZipRecruiter leaped out to the head of the field because when you send your job opening to ZipRecruiter, it instantly reaches out to 100 job boards and algorithms immediately identify qualified candidates and get them to you. Now get this, 80% of the companies using ZipRecruiter have qualified candidates within one day of that first click. When it comes to hiring, nobody throws a better alley-oop pass than ZipRecruiter. But you've got to dunk the ball. You got to do the interviews. You got to make the hires. I hope my next question for Kobe and his answer will help you do just that. So here's a question for you. You've you've hired some people. Mm-hmm. Do you have a a go-to question or a go-to look of body language to in order to hire the right person? Um, yeah, my go-to question is always a question. And that's followed by another question. Right? That's the way I interview. That's it. I mean, you just you just you know you want to learn. You want to hear. Um, it's the fifth question that's going to get what you want to hear, well, or the sixth well, question. Yeah, but you want to see how they think, right? Are they curious people? I mean, in, in, you know, in everything that we do, I think we should be looking for curious minds, particularly in storytelling. You want curious minds. You know, it's not you don't want to hire people that that know how to solve problems. You want people that that want to that want to uh, look for unsolvable problems and figure out ways to solve those problems because they don't know how to. Right. Those are the kind of people we look for here. How when you do, when you do a job interview, how do the candidates take it? They're coming in to be interviewed by Kobe. Well, I mean, I, I've most of the job interviews that I've done, I'm pretty much done with now, you know, because it's it's really the top brass that we have here. Um, but we have really talented people. Our development team, extremely talented. And they understand the culture and how we do things. And, you know, I really leave it to them to find people that are just as curious about the world and about the process as, as we are. So really, curi- so much of this is just centering right back on curiosity. Oh, of course. Of course. It's not what you know. I don't care about what you know. It's about... Um, what you don't know and you being curious about what it is that you don't know. What are you curious about now? That. <laughs> that, right? And, and um, you know, you get into building a company, you understand it's really about the people that you bring in and how do you put them in the best possible situations to be successful. And, you know, like um, structuring this company, like now the ball's about to start rolling here pretty quickly the things that we have coming out, you know, Dear Basketball, um, followed by our um, um, our ESPN announcement that'll be coming. And then shortly thereafter, it'll be a children's podcast series that's coming, you know, followed by the first novel that comes, you know, a few months later, the second novel. And so from, 
you know, pretty quickly it, it's going to be rolling on things that you know we've been developing here for the last two years. Um, but when I sat down to originally write the kind of the the the, the, the core of this company, what the story is, this world. It took a lot of writing, it took a lot of creativity, because that had to be the thing that onboarded people, right? But now that that runway is created, now it's seen the writers are in and we're all writing from the same place, same universe, same world. Um, um, my job now becomes making sure I'm responsible enough to get these ideas and stories to market in a responsible way. Right. So that we don't I don't let the business side of things, the operation side of things take away from the amount of creativity and the work that's going into that creativity. How much of this overlaps with the way that you play basketball is are you running this company as if you were the GM of the Lakers or the coach of the Lakers or? No, I mean the you know, the way my my vision for this company is probably different than than most content companies. Um, you know, it's 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 um, I'm looking at you know we'll have different um, different IP, right? We'll have different things, but it all leads to the mothership. It's all one company, and so when I'm bringing people on board and you're responsible for certain projects. Um, Yes, you're responsible for this particular IP, but your participation is at the top level of Granity Studios. We're all moving in one direction. I refuse to, to divide the company out and have a marketing department for this particular IP and financial department for this particular IP. I refuse to do that. I think you need to have one focus. You need to have one ship that is going in one direction at all times. You know, it, it's very interesting because so many companies, as they grow, they get territorial mm -hmm. and then they have conflicting aims. Right. And no, I refuse it, to do that. I refuse to do that. And, I, you know, I, I was getting advice from, from some business people um, and friends and things of that nature. They all say the same thing. It's, it's more responsible to kind of divvy it up. It's easier to, to manage. You have smaller teams here and there that are operating. I'm just vehemently against it. And um, um, I didn't know if I was crazy or what. And so, you know, one of the people that I called was Tim Cook. And I asked Tim Cook what he thought. You know, what did he think about this? And he said, listen, this is how we run Apple. We run Apple the same way. And, you know, we, we get a lot of pushback about how we do things and this and the other Um but we believe that this is the the one true way to have a focused company that behaves as one, as one entity, as one family. So he would say, you know, he said, "Listen, it's not, it's not that I'm saying what you're doing is the right thing. I'm telling you that what you're doing is not only the right thing, but I am vehemently opposed to the other way of oh, doing wow. things." <laughs> So, you know, it's my responsibility to try to, you know, and we're still so early it's that, that those conversations are premature to even have for us. But it's, I think it's important for me to start thinking that way now just to see where it is that we go. Because, you know, you don't want to hopefully, you know, these things catch on and they take off and they're successful. I don't want to be behind the eight ball of chasing what it is that we should be. I think it's important to start understanding the direction in which you want to go now. How much time do you spend, and I'm thinking 
about driving down my street in my car, phone rings, mm -hmm. no caller ID. I pick it up. Callus is Kobe. <laughs> Saying, I don't know that many Kobe's yeah. in the world, but it's obviously your voice. Yeah. How much time do you spend just curiously calling people up when you want to know something? I'll, I'll, I'll call instantly. I mean, it's, you know, if, if I have a question about something, I'll, I'll just, I'll ask, you know, and, um, um, yeah, I mean, it happens, it happens every now and then. I mean, you know, Oprah was another, Oprah, when I was originally thinking about setting up this company, I reached out to Oprah and she spent about an hour and a half on the phone with me and just walked me through, you know, how Harpo was structured, you know, um, how she built her business from day one all the way up until now. And she said, when I was coming up, I had great mentors and Sidney Portier and so forth um, that showed me the ropes. And I believe it's my responsibility to do the same thing for the next generation. So if you have any questions whatsoever, just pick up the phone and give me a call, right? And it's that kind of selflessness of passing that information forward, passing that knowledge forward, um, that's extremely important for us to have. Um, so, but yeah, I'll pick up the phone and, and, and call and ask. Well, it's, and again, back to youth, when you're just starting in the NBA, Michael Jackson calls you yeah. out of nowhere yeah. and becomes your mentor. Yeah. And it, it seems like a lot of your business now is really about teaching and mentoring a whole generation of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's taking knowledge and information that we have learned, wisdom that we have gathered, and, and, and seeding that within our stories so that things are digested and processed in an entertaining way. I mean, you know, I mean, you have kids, it's like, you know, it's hard to tell your kid you know, to, to be motivated or how to deal with anxiety or, or pressure or peer pressure. You know, they'll hear you, right? But if, if, if you can see it in content or if you can read it, now it becomes your own. And it's something entirely different, right. right? And as parents, now we can reinforce that. But when a, a kid can, when you when you trust a piece of content, either on TV or in the books, as a parent, that you know these this is good stuff for your kid to read because they're going to learn the difficult stuff that most people tend to shy away from. Um, it makes our job as parenting a lot easier. And for my children. It's awesome because, you know, they don't have to, they don't my have voice to be doesn't become white to. noise, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? They're not being preached right. to, you're giving it to them in a story where they're stepping in a character's shoes. Yeah, and it's wondrous, it's magical, and it's all these fun things that that, that story should be. All right, last question. Met a woman yesterday, and she was telling me about a party she was throwing. And the idea behind this party is everybody shows up, who they will be in five years. So when you walk in the door and somebody asks who you are, you describe yourself five years from now. If you showed up at that party, who will you be in five years? Just another curious person. That's it. That's beautiful. You are who you always been. Yeah, man, yeah. Another person asking questions. Well, when you first called, I thought, this is going to be wild. <laughs> because Kobe is the like, ultimate winner. 
And like as an interviewer, I don't have that competitive side to me. Right. Uh, like winning to me is sitting down with you and having a conversation, getting you to feel comfortable, right. open up. Maybe you think of something that you hadn't thought of before and you leave thinking, wow, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not beating anybody down the way <laughs> when you drain that three-pointer. <laughs> so I said to myself, I wonder how this is going to go. Yeah. And in the end, I find this amazing overlap in curiosity, yeah. being like the center point in my life and the center point in yours. Yeah. Isn't that and funny? You always teach me something wherever we meet. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, when we sit down and talk, it's always... You know, you have a way of pulling things out that I've forgotten and uh, or, you know, helping me think of something that, oh, yeah, I guess that is where that comes from. Right. And I I think that's a that's a wonderful trait to have. I mean, if if we could all kind of do that and challenge each other in that way, you know, to help understand certain things about ourselves and you know, a larger perspective of the world as a whole. I mean, that's. Certainly, if we can do that in our stories, I mean, that's the magic, where the story doesn't just live on the page, but it helps the person that's reading the story or viewing the story uh, interpret their own life in a different kind of way. And that's the magic. I feel like we're teammates, brother. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you. That about wraps it up. But before I go, I'd like to say a few thank yous. First to Kobe for inviting me down to his office and having a great conversation. Always great to see you, brother. Next to Tim Ferriss, because, well, you wouldn't be hearing my voice if it wasn't for Tim. He's been pushing me to have a podcast for a long time. And I got to admit, I was scared. Scared that I couldn't handle the technology getting all the equipment, setting up the wiring, making sure the audio levels were right. But he pushed and he pushed and he pushed, and here I am. Thank you, Tim. Never be able to thank you enough, but I'll keep trying. Squarespace, talk about pushing past fear. You have given me the courage to create my own unique, beautiful website. I cannot thank you enough. It's amazing how easy you're making it. And anyone out there can jump in on this too and see the ease and the beauty that comes about through Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com, enter the code FUSSMAN, and you We'll get a free trial, and once you like it, 10% off the creation of your own beautiful website. ZipRecruiter, my other half, the geniuses of hiring. One click, and you can get quality candidates within a day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Fussman, F-U-S-S-M-A-N, and you can post jobs for free. Hey, what's better than free? 